Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Justin Draplin, the founder and CEO of Eclipse Villages and Eclipse Cottages, to talk about the potential of tiny homes in solving the housing inventory crisis. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. One of the things that interested me about you and your company is that you're not just an enthusiast of tiny homes who has built several or even you know a community but you're really a developer working on the business of tiny homes, which I think is going to be really interesting to our audience. So you're looking at it from a business standpoint that takes into account, you know, the development, the financing, investing, ability to scale. So I want to dive into each of those things. But first, let's talk about your background and what led you to found this business. Yeah, uh, it, I kind of fell into it, uh, to be honest. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't really have a background uh, in tiny homes. My background of construction consisted of my dad building some homes on the side while he was a fireman. So I had been around it. I was familiar with construction, uh, but I'd never done development, never built a house, um, those kind of things. But when I found a piece of property in Travelers West, South Carolina, uh, that I did fall in love with, I had to figure out what to do with it. And so kind of through that process is where I came across tiny homes, um, doing a community of tiny homes, with, which led to the construction and kind of understanding how they're currently financed and the headaches with that. Um, and it just kind of evolved from kind of moving some dirt, you know, into the construction, into the, it kind of evolved into, gosh, there's, it's such a great product, um, a tiny home, but like, there's so many issues there. Like, where do you, where can you put them and how do you build them and how do you finance them? That it was like, wow, there's a lot of issues here that need to be addressed. Uh, and I think we've come up with, you know, pretty good solutions for all of them. So uh, they just kind of feed into each other at that point. I do think that's one of the things. So we've been reporting on tiny homes for years. You know, I've been with Housing Wire for 10 years and, and probably two years in one of my stories was about tiny homes. And, you you know, you hit on that where it's like for our audience who is, you know, in uh, mostly single family residential, it's like, Okay, well, how do you finance them? You know, what what part of that do I do? But also, where do you put them? I mean, they're sort of out of home sometimes. So I, I feel like you've solved for some of that. So tell me about how how you think about the villages that you're putting tiny homes on. Yeah, I mean, the big piece with the land part of tiny homes is, is it an attractive piece of land? So is it someplace that you'd want to live? 
Um, and then two, is it someplace that the local municipality will let you live? You know, so like you could certainly find a big piece of flat land in the middle of nowhere that you could put a tiny home community, but then would anybody want to live there? Uh, and kind of vice versa, the closer you get to like a major city, um, the harder it is to find land that would allow it. So it's a, it's kind of a balancing act of, of those two scenarios. And it's just information collection, right? What does the land have? Is it attractive location? Does it have a water feature, mountain views, those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, who's friendly to tiny homes. I feel like that's one of the things you've really looked at. And just to let our audience know, we're not talking about five tiny homes around a pond, right? Uh, tell us a little bit about your tiny creek development and how many lots you hope to fill out eventually, how many you have there. What, what does this look like? Yeah, so um, Creek Walk, our first community, we have two phases full, uh, and that's a total of 75 lots. Uh, we are putting in our final phase currently of 60 lots. That's great. And then you have two more communities under development and you're looking for more opportunities, correct? Yep. We have uh, two more projects in the upstate. Uh, one with 193 lots, another one with 74. One's on a lake. Uh, one has its own small lake uh, and some mountain views. And then, um, yeah, we have a few other pieces of property that we are in active discussion on developing, um, going through permitting and, and financing and those kinds of things. Um, and we are looking to grow that as well. So let me ask you this, you know, it, it, if I'm buying into uh, one of these villages and I'm buying one of your cottages, am I buying the land underneath it or is it more structured like, say, uh, a mobile home park, manufactured housing? Like, is the is land part of it or is it separate? Uh, yeah. So in the communities that we've been doing, they are separate. Um, we sell the home and then lease the land. Uh, from a development perspective, it's it's less expensive to develop that way um, versus, you know, part of tiny home living is uh, using less resources, right? So when you get into a situation where you have to start subdividing land and sell off a piece of land with it, you run into different regulations and um, minimum lot sizes and setbacks. And now you got to put in sidewalks and curbing, like there's just a lot more that goes into it, which... Um, does two things. It one forces you to use more resources to have a tiny home there, and it also forces you to um, do significantly larger pieces of land than most people want to maintain, or I, I shouldn't say most people, than tiny home people want to maintain. So you know the nice thing about the way that we do it is we take care of all the maintenance. We cut the grass. We you know take care of sidewalks, walkways. Um, you know we have a you know, amenities within the community. Um, whereas, you know, getting the subdividing lot, it's like, okay, well, it's all on you. And, and most people looking at tiny homes are all about that simplicity of life and they want it to be easy. They want it to be simple. And they have this one monthly fee, it covers all their utilities, the maintenance and everything, that, and they don't have to really worry about the property. Well, and you're really looking at, you know, you have solar panels on the roof. You have, you have options where people can be off-grid. Uh, but then also, you know, in your communities, they can be, you know, hooked into to everything. So tell us a little bit about that. Like when you came to when you're looking at your land and you're like, what can I do with this? Are you that person? Are you that like, you know, personally, like you want to be sustainable or, or you know, making a small footprint? Is that kind of who you are? Is that kind of who you're the people that the audience you're trying to reach? Uh, I've become more that way. Um, 
you know, it's, it's funny. We actually, uh, I have four small kids, so I do not currently live this lifestyle. Um, I see the attraction to it, but uh, you know, a wife and four kids, we just need more space right now. Um, but for certain, you know, if it, if it was just me and my wife or, or myself, you know, that's never going to happen. You know, I'm not, <laughs> don't tell my wife I said that. Um, but you know, if it was just me and her, um, I could definitely see it. Uh, they're definitely, it's definitely livable. I, you know, I don't like cutting grass. I do make my son do it. So I don't have to do it at our current home. Um, but I don't like the maintenance of a home. I don't like cleaning the house. I don't like, you know, vacuuming, and wiping, and cleaning toilets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the, the less house to maintain, I'm, I'm happier. Um, the less outside to maintain, I'm happier. Um, but you know, it's also for particular lifestyles and particular phases of lives, right? Um, so we have a lot of interest from, you know, first time home buyers, single people, newlyweds. Um, and then it kind of skips 30 years of life cycle and goes to empty nesters, um, you know, retirees and that kind of, so we have the, the two primary segments are opposite ends of the housing um, spectrum, but they both find value in what we're doing. That makes so much sense. I, I also have four kids and so I can understand <laughs> at different times. There's just like, you are not looking to get smaller <laughs> in space. Yeah. Um, although I know people who do that. Um, so let's talk about where you found this land and, and where you're looking to grow. So one of the things that you mentioned is like, it's not finding land, it's finding land that is attractive to the people who want to live there. And, and your current communities are almost resort type villages in the sense of like the setting seems like a resort setting. So I can understand the appeal that way. How does that look when you're looking to expand? Um, you know, are, are you, do you look at like, we want to be, you guys are close to Greenville, South Carolina. So are you looking a certain amount away from a, from a certain size of city or kind of what's your criteria there? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll go anywhere. Um, you know, we're open to um, anywhere in the country, quite frankly. Um, I prefer the upstate. Um, I live here. I'm raising my kids here. It's probably the best place in the country to live, in my opinion. Um, but we are looking in other states. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be primarily focusing on areas that are growing that, you know, people want to move to. Um, so there are some states that, you know, I really would rather not do a project there. Um, you know, any, any of those states that you see that are currently shrinking, like I really don't have a desire to fight the trend. Um, so we are focusing on, you know, Southwest uh, or Southeast, uh, Central, um, you know, kind of avoiding Northern states, just again, because generally speaking, those areas are losing population or aren't growing at the rate. Um, because people are wanting to move, um, you know, to, to Florida, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, you know, and they're leaving a lot of the other areas. So I don't want to, I don't want to go against the, against the waves at this point, um, trying to target those areas where people do want to live and are, are pursuing a life. You know, we just have been publishing things this week on housing affordability, which is almost at an all time low. It's not quite, we, we haven't quite gotten there. We're not beating last year, but when you look at um, what the median income can afford in America today, it's it's pretty rough because we have high mortgage rates, but home prices in many places have not come down. 
like you would expect with those high mortgage rates. So it it creates this sort of squeeze for people who aren't already in homes. And so, you know, people are looking for alternatives and tiny homes have been, you know, touted for a long time as like, this could be an alternative, but you do have a stigma among, uh, among different people feeling like, you know, it doesn't quite fit. Or to your point, you have municipalities who haven't figured out how to incorporate those, you know, into what they currently allow. Did you have to go outside? Like, is there a is there a point at which you're like, okay, this is the kind of place we can build? Like, how close can you get into uh, an urban center? It really varies. Um, you know, Creek Walk is, we're on a dedicated biking trail um, that goes uh, about a mile to downtown Traveler's Rest. So we're very much walking and biking distance to, you know, a nice little downtown Plenty of restaurants, farmers market, concerts, uh, movies in the park. We have our own Christmas parade, so we're within a mile of that, right? And then we're also about eleven miles from downtown Greenville, and, and again, we're connected via that bike trail. Even so, somebody could ride their bike, you know, eleven miles and be in downtown Greenville, which is a you know a very vibrant, growing, um, desirable downtown. So. Um, we kind of hit the jackpot with our first project. I don't know that the stars will align quite that well ever again. Um, so it just kind of varies. Um, you know, we have we have projects that we've tried that we think would be phenomenal um, that are close to a downtown and city limits. Um, you know, we, the the city council sounds supportive. Planning recommends an approval. And then like one council member kind of gets a stick up his butt and kind of convinces everybody else to vote, vote it down. And you're, you're left there like, are you kidding me? Like, even I, I met with you individually and you said you liked the project and then you, because it's in your district, you, you, for whatever reason, decided you didn't anymore and convinced the whole group against it when all of them are for it and planning recommended it. So it's like, there's some things like that, the politics of it, that just drive you crazy sometimes. Um, you know, politicians do what they do for their own reasons, um, not necessarily for logical reasons, not necessarily for what's right for the community as much as you'd like to think that's what politicians are thinking about. Um, so it's, it's, that's the frustrating part. Um, so you just got to look at properties and, and just kind of, you got to poke around a little bit, right? And and check out zoning. Um, you know, there are certain zones that would allow it no matter what. Um, and those are the easiest. Those, those would be the ones that we primarily target. Um, because again, you don't know how a council is going to vote. Um, you, they get one, you get one bad apple in there and they have a way of convincing everybody else. Um, so that's, it's just not worth the time and energy. Um, you want to, we want to work with people that get it. They understand what we're doing. They understand the, the value of tiny homes and the benefit. Um, they understand that, you know, these are the, these are the exact kind of people that you would want as a neighbor. Um, you know, there's a mindset to tiny homes that most people don't understand. Um, but it's very much the kind of person that makes a good neighbor, right? They care about people. They care about the environment. They don't litter. They, you know, pick up after themselves. They want things to be nice. They want people to be nice. They are nice to each other. Like it's just, there's, it's insane. There's no reason why somebody wouldn't want this. Um, if they actually understood all of those aspects. of it. And, and it just seems uh, perfect for some of those infill housing 
areas where you think, you know, but again, it all comes down to zoning. Now, what about opportunity zone investing? Have, have you looked at that? Have you done some of that? Oh yeah. So this property is actually in an opportunity zone. Um, so we do have, um, a, a, a focus on that. Our manufacturing company is actually an opportunity zone business as well. Um, so we are quite active actually with opportunity zones. And how did you get into that or how did you realize that that was going to be the way that you could make this work? So that I did kind of fall into, I'm not going to lie. Um, didn't really know anything about opportunity zones. Um, it's kind of one of those things like, yeah, I saw it on the news once. Right. Um, and first, first thought was, well, that's only for people that have a lot of money. Right. Um, but then I bought property. Creekwalk is actually in an opportunity zone. And so then I actually had to dissect like, well, what does that mean? Um, what, what, what is an opportunity zone? How do they work? Who do they benefit? How do they benefit? Um, and so that was a whole nother learning experience, a whole nother layer, if you will, um, to the housing space. So yeah, and it turns out that, okay, well, it's easier to get uh, investors to invest in it um, because they can have an added benefit, uh, which helps keep the costs down uh, because there's these benefits for the investors. So it helps them get a better return. So it ends up costing us less to get a project done because they have, you know, ancillary benefits to the project. Um, so that's been been nice as far as helping to keep costs down on on a project because again, residents that live in a tiny home, they're, they're they don't want to waste, right? And one of the things they don't want to waste is money. There's no reason to to spend extra money on financing or on housing on on stuff that if you can save money, you might as well. You're not gonna you're not gonna pay extra just because the investor wanted to make a higher return, right? So if we can offset that return and lower the cost to the homeowners, then everybody wins. The investor gets a little bit of added benefit from the opportunity zone layer. We can lower the cost a little bit for the homeowners and you know, kind of everybody gets a little bit. A little bit. So you mentioned financing, and this is really one of the places where uh, tiny homes sort of hit a wall because um, some of them, especially, I mean, even today, you can get some that are very inexpensive and there really aren't uh, loan worthy or there's such a small loan that you maybe don't have a lot of people interested, but I know that you guys do, you know, the finish out, you know, you, you are still, you have steel, um, in your buildings are made with steel. You have the roofs. I mean, these are, I don't want to say luxury tiny homes, but these are not your, um, you know, stripped down version. So what does financing look like for people who want to buy your homes? Yeah. So we have developed, um, our own financing, um, and the issue is we haven't been doing it yet because it has to do with the Inflation Reduction Act um, and the IRS hasn't given all the guidance necessary yet. So it has to do with the solar tax credit and the depreciation on a, on a cottage and, and those kind of aspects. So we haven't kind of lined up, but until we can cross the T's and dot the I's with the IRS, we're kind of, our hands are tied. And, and it's one of those things like, okay, well, any day now, any day now. And it's kind of been any day going on several months. Um, so we've just been kind of sitting on it and waiting. We have it all. We have the financing design. We're looking at you know, 0% financing on purchasing our cottages, um, 0% down. Um, but we can't really offer it to people 
again until we can't, we can't technically close on it until the IRS finishes giving all the guidance on the tax credits and the transferability. Um, so we're just kind of waiting on that right now. So right now you partner with several lenders, correct, who, who do these loans? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's private lenders. And what about how much do, uh, what's the range of homes? Um, how much do they cost? Um, so you're looking at, I mean, you could be 50,000 to 300,000 for a tiny home. Uh, it really, you know, it, there's a lot of movement, right? Um, from 120 square feet, cheapest stuff possible to 399 square feet, top of the line, everything. I think one of the potential of tiny homes is really to fill the need that people like me fill. You talked about empty nesters. That's me. Um, where I, I like nice things, but I don't want a lot of space. Right. And finding yeah. something smaller, that's still a nice finish out in a nice area can be really challenging. And so, you know, that's where traditionally you have townhomes, you have condos, you have those kind of things, but tiny homes have the, you know, potential to really fill that need for people. And I, I do think oh, yeah. just looking at what you guys do, that this is like, this is not, you, you know, the shed that's been turned into a, a home. <laughs> this is not the same thing. Yeah. Very different. Um, I'd say, and, and I think a big differentiator for us compared to those other things, townhomes, condos, apartments, right. You don't have to share a wall, right? So with a tiny home, you actually have your own space, right? Windows on every wall, right? Versus a condo or an apartment where you got like, you can have windows on one side of your house and that's it. Um, so that, that alone, being able to bring light in from all directions makes everything just seem bigger. But then have, having to not share that wall where, you know, the noise of your neighbor um, coming through that wall, you know, bang, bang on the wall, you can hear very, very clearly in an apartment or a condo. I don't care how many layers of insulation they put, or, you know, how much they tell you it's noise canceling. Like you hear a lot of noises in those places. Right. And so that's a big part of it for, for, for people is like, you know, in an apartment, you can have people on either side of you, below you, above you and across the hall from you. And it's like, that's just too much for me. Right. Um, so people just want that little bit of space and it's not, not a lot of space. They just want that little bit, right? Where it's, it is theirs. They own all four walls. Um, nobody can encroach on that space. Um, so it's that, it's that little bit of a difference between your, your townhomes and condos and apartments that, that really is attractive to people. So one of the, you know, you talked about some of the challenges of doing this kind of development one of the challenges to doing any kind of development in our uh, country or in, in the part of the country I live in anyway, which is pretty car centric, is how many parking places you have to have for whatever sort of dwelling you have. So how do, how do you uh, work that with tiny homes? What, what are the parameters there? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, legally, the jurisdiction will usually have some rules as far as how many, you know, sp overall spaces in a development. Um, I mean, you technically really only need one, right? It's a, it's a small, it's a small house. There's not going to be, um, many that need more than that. Um, uh, but most, most of our lots do have two car, uh, parking. Um, and then we have kind of some overflow areas where there's some community space where, you know, we slide in four or five lots there, where if you're having to get together, like they might have to walk, you know, a few, a few doors down. Um, but at least there's going to be more parking around it within the community. 
What do you think, you know, you're, um, you have partners now and you're looking for more partners. What do you think, um, people need to know that like, here's the potential or like from your perspective, how, how much could you scale? Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of dependent on, um, on the amount of cash that we have available. Um, you know, it's ramping up growth is very expensive, right? That's something most people don't realize. Like people think that if you're growing quickly, you're making a lot of money. No, the chances are, if you're growing quickly, you're actually losing a lot of money. Um, you don't start making money until you stop growing basically is what, how that works. Um, you know, if you look at Amazon, right. They didn't make money for like 10 years or something crazy. You know, they, they got, they got really, really big, but that growth was so expensive um, that they really didn't make any money for a long period of time. Um, and now they can't, you know, they're printing money now, um, but it takes money to, for, for that growth to happen. So that kind of, that's kind of what we're trying to navigate right now is, you know, what do we want to look like? How fast do we want to grow? Um, do we have the capital necessary to grow and put communities as fast as we want to? Um, and so we're just kind of feeling that out really. Um, I know the, the, um, the, Industry is growing. Um, the desire for people to live in tiny homes, I think, is is huge. I think there's a big opportunity um, for tiny homes nationally. Um, so that, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about market saturation or anything like that. Um, but we want to be um, intentional in the way that we do our developments. Um, again, we don't want to just throw a tiny home community. You know, you got there's tiny home communities going up in the middle of the mountains, right? And it's like, yeah, anybody can do one there. Like there's nothing special about that. It seems special at first. And so you realize like, they're just going to keep doing it. And they're going to just, and then you have all these people living in the mountains, but still no amenities, still no internet service. You still have to drive an hour to the grocery store. You know, like people are going to realize pretty quick, like, wait a minute, that that's not what I thought I was signing up for. Um, so we're, we're, we're very diligent about, kind of vetting the locations and making sure that we're building desirable communities. Um, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of people in the space, whether it's tiny home builders or developers that, um, you know, they see the money and it's a, a cash grab. They're just going to put in a project anywhere they can, um, sell lots as fast as possible and be on their way. Right. Whereas the way that we do it, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're, we're in the project. Um, we stick around because we, we own it. Right. So if it goes bad, it goes bad for us too. Um, versus the people that are you know doing all these lots in the middle of nowhere and selling off the lots, people think, Oh, this is a great investment, whatever. Well, then the developer's gone. And then what makes it stay nice? Right. You, you got a bunch of random people living in the mountains. Like there's no, there's no way to really judge that somebody wants to start, you know, having a, a shooting range, uh, in their, in their backyard next to their tiny home. And it's overlooking their neighbor and you're in the middle of nowhere. So nobody can stop you. Right. Um, so there's, there's just those kind of things that we, we have to look at when we're, when we're looking at growth, like we want to be smart about it because we, we plan on being around for a long time. So, you know, um, I know some, some tiny homes are built on like a platform that is really, um, uh, mobile, right? It has, it has wheels. It's, it's, um, 
classified in a different way? If someone buys a home and puts it in your community, can they pick it up and move it somewhere else? Uh, technically, yes. Yeah, they could. Um, we have yet to have anybody uh, move out, uh, I think. Um, we, we've had people move here from several different tiny home communities, um, but they are not leaving our tiny home community for these other ones, which I do like to brag about regularly. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it more from the investment standpoint of like, if I'm investing in this and I want to move, do I sell my house um, or do I or do I take it with me and move? Oh, yeah. So in our communities, most people will sell it because they end up making more because Again, we're in a desire, we're putting these in desirable areas. Um, we manage them well. Um, so there's added value to that. Uh, I mean, we're, 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 we're backed up, right? We're on waiting lists to get into our communities. Um, so when you have that demand to get into a community, you know, that helps your house appreciate value. So like we have homes that are reselling for 50% plus more than they bought them for three or four years ago. Um, versus if you move that home, there's, there's no more value to it. It, it actually goes down in value from what you bought it for. So if you, you paid a hundred thousand for it today, you're selling it for one fifty in our community. Whereas if you pulled it off, you'd probably have to sell it for 50. Interesting because of the community they're taking it to, or because the moving of it, um, you know, decelerates the value. Uh, because of the community. Right. We have a, we kind of have this wall up, right. Where nobody's, we don't allow just anybody in. So to get in, you have to buy one of the homes that's there or they have to move it out. So when you have a waiting list of people ready to, ready to move in, when they go to sell, there's people there willing to pay that premium price because they want to be here. Right. Gotcha. So it's the location. Well, Justin, thank you so much. Been a very interesting conversation very interested in how tiny homes might um, help alleviate some of this housing crisis we're in. So thanks for stopping by and talking to us. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.